welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be finishing up this morning our series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Journey to Freedom, and we've been looking at what it looks like to walk into the freedom that Jesus has for us. And oftentimes in that journey, in that kind of that progress of moving forward, the journey to freedom is going to be marked by moments of breakthrough. Uh, There's going to be moments along the way where in that journey you kind of feel pressed, maybe hard pressed. There's going to be a need to kind of push through and to move forward into the things that God has for us, and we need these moments of breakthrough. And as we've been in this series, it's likely that you've experienced some of those moments, but it's also likely that you're still in moments of needing breakthrough, and it's certain that out in front of you in the future, you will have to visit those moments as well. And those breakthrough moments can be uh, needed in a variety of areas in our life. You may need breakthrough this morning uh, in the formation of your character. Maybe as you're growing as a man of God or woman of God, there's some things that the Lord is trying to shape, and there's a little bit of a struggle there, and you need breakthrough in that place. Maybe in your spiritual growth, as you uh, develop practices of worship and practices of study and prayer, maybe there's some need for breakthrough there. Maybe you need breakthrough in your, in, in your body, your mind, your soul. There's a need for healing, and you're pressing and contending for that. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your relationships or in your finances. Those are practical areas that the Lord would want to bring freedom and fruitfulness as well. Maybe you're dealing with guilt and shame and just some stuff that you're dragging behind you that you really need to break free from and move into the freedom that you have in Christ. And, and sometimes our breakthrough is needed uh, in a place of increasing our faith and moving us to courageously stand for the things that God has for us in our lives. Uh, and and some, sometimes we, we need breakthrough because of the bondage of sin in our lives, right? Uh, our wrongdoing or the wrongdoing of others or the wrong way the world works. And so we're dealing with a lot of stuff with that where Maybe we're living with the consequences of stuff that we have been a part of, or maybe we're the collateral damage of decisions other people have made, and there's a need for us to move into healing and to wholeness. Uh, But sometimes there's breakthrough needed in in places in our lives where we didn't do anything wrong, uh, where we're actually pursuing rightness or doing things rightly. We're, we're trying to walk in righteousness, and as you take steps as a man of God, as you take steps as a woman of God, as you begin to move forward in the, in the things that God has for you, all of a sudden there's resistance and there's uh, almost a sense of imprisonment uh, or hindrance, and you need breakthrough in that area as well. And we're going to look at some examples of those this morning, uh, how to deal with and how to contend for breakthrough in situations in life where you are being faced with being treated wrongly for doing rightly. And if we don't uh, address those things correctly, if we don't contend for breakthrough in those areas, when we're dealing with those situations, oftentimes we're going to respond out of our flesh and out of kind of our natural response to those things. We're going to get angry uh, and we're going to become bitter. Uh, We may move into a place where we're depressed uh, where our heart gets hard or where we get vindictive. We want to kind of get revenge in, in some of those circumstances. 
And I want to just suggest to you that whether you need breakthrough because of wrongdoing or because you have been doing right and are being pressed because of that, regardless of the need for breakthrough, there is an opportunity for you and I to turn to the Lord and walk in His liberty. And there's a few practical things that are going to seem almost elemental this morning but practical things that you and I can develop as part of the habit of the way that we live our lives that will help us move through those breakthrough moments more often than not. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get those out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Go ahead and raise it up so everybody knows you came strapped, right? Sword of the Spirit. That's what the Scripture calls it. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your living word today. Lord, give us courageous hearts, hearts full of faith, that we would take steps in the direction that you would lead us. Lord, that we would apply your word to our lives and we would see the fruit of it as a result in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be actually jumping into a number of different places in Scripture. We're going to be covering a ton of verses, but I'm going to be only uh, grabbing parts of it. And so uh, we encourage you to take notes, encourage you to kind of dig into things a little bit more uh, during the week. And so I'm going to give you some bigger passages of Scripture that you can kind of visit prayerfully with the Lord on your own. But we're going to be looking at three uh, uh, we're going to be looking at three historical narrative biblical accounts in which, the, uh, in which um, kind of following the Lord, pursuing righteousness, was met with actual imprisonment. So a lot of the freedom that we've been talking about, we've been talking about a need for breakthrough. A lot of that we've been using as metaphoric, right? Like I feel bondage in my heart or in my soul that I'm pressing for breakthrough in this area or that. These are going to be stories that it's literal imprisonment that has taken place in the lives of those involved. And we're going to see how they respond to it and how the Lord brings an actual physical liberty. But in doing so, we're going to see ways that you and I can apply the same practices to any and every area of needed breakthrough in our lives that will posture us for that breakthrough moment. And so we're going to be looking at Peter. We're going to be looking at a story that uh, involves Paul. And then we're going to be looking at three guys in the Old Testament that I like to refer to as the three amigos, all right? So if you're following along, we got Peter, we got Paul, we got the three amigos. We're going to be looking at this, those stories separately and unpacking those. And so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 12, and that's going to be where we begin. And in Acts chapter 12, kind of the main character that we're looking at here in this narrative is Peter. Uh, Peter is, is really the face of the church at the time. He's leading the church in Jerusalem. And the church has enjoyed a period of fruitfulness. They have had a profound impact, and things are popping. But now, all of a sudden, uh, the, uh, the um, perspective of the governance there is starting to shift, and public opinion is shifting as well. Uh, and, and there's maybe some things here that you could even overlay on uh, kind of some of the things that have taken place in church history, even in our own country. The church at different times has enjoyed kind of a central focus in society and has had broad influence. And then there's times where governance has a little bit of a change of perspective on what the church is doing. And certainly public opinion has a tendency to ebb and flow as well. And so what's happening here in Acts chapter 12 is everything has kind of shifted and there is now a focus on the church that is uh, not affirming 
Uh, people aren't actually excited about the church being present in the city, nor what it's doing. And there's a man in charge who is called King Herod. And King Herod at this time uh, really responds to uh, the church in a negative way and uh, begins to persecute it. And everybody seems to be cool with it. And so since his political clout kind of is raised and kind of he's, he gets a little bump in the polls, that seems to be important to politicians. He begins to pursue this in a little bit more earnest. And so in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, what you find is that uh, King Herod had arrested uh, some people who belonged to the church. He begins to persecute them. He had James, right? If you remember Peter, James, and John, we talk about those guys a lot. James and John are brothers, and James was arrested, and Herod had him put to death, had him killed with a sword, and he got a little bump in the polls. Everybody was like, hey, we kind of, we kind of like that, and so he begins to move a little bit further, and he arrests Peter. And so that's where we pick up in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, and it tells us this about that situation. It says, so Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Okay, so there's a persecution that's broke out. There's a, a hard press, and now there's a physical imprisonment. They've already lost James. Peter's now in prison, and Herod has held him now in captive. You can read the narrative yourself, but he's going to hold him until after the Passover, and then he's going to put Peter on trial, and you can expect the same outcome of what happened with James. And so the church responds in a way that they know that they can respond. They begin to pray. Uh, they begin to pray in earnest for Peter. And as you begin to read the narrative and as you look at what takes place, there's a moment where things begin to change. It's a suddenly moment. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But in verse 7, it says, suddenly, right? All of a sudden, almost unexpectedly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And as you read the rest of the narrative, here's what happens. Peter is asleep. He's chained to guards, and there's multiple sets of guards making sure that he can't escape. And he's asleep, and the angel kind of elbows him and says, hey, Peter, you got to wake up and get your stuff and let's go. He wakes up. The chains fall off. And the angel says, put on your jacket and follow me. And so he just kind of stands up and he's going through the motions, but he thinks he's having a dream, right? He doesn't, he doesn't actually believe that this is taking place. Now, I love the picture of Peter in prison chained where he's asleep because it suggests to me that he's at peace, but he's also not praying or contending or interceding on his own behalf. He's just kind of hanging out. And as the angel says, hey, let's go, he's like, oh, this is a pretty rad dream, right? Have you ever had like a really vivid dream and you're like, man, it would be awesome if that was real, but of course it's not. Peter is in that place and he moves out. It says that the iron gates to the prison opened on their own. The angel didn't even touch it. They just opened and he follows him out. And after he's gone a whole street length into the city, all of a sudden the angel leaves and Peter's literally free and he's like, whoa, this is happening. This is really happening. So guess what he does? He goes to a prayer meeting because there's a prayer meeting at one of the, the leaders of the church at his mom's house, right? So they go to John Mark's mama's house, and there's a prayer meeting going on there, and they're praying for what just happened. And what's interesting is as you read the rest of the story, Peter shows up, knocks on the door, and they're too busy praying. Nobody's going to get the door. So a young girl goes, answers the door, and what? It's Peter. 
And she's so stoked, she just shuts the door in his face, leaves him there, runs inside and says, you guys, Peter's at the door. And what did they all say? Yeah, right. That, this is important. Yeah, right. Literally what they're praying for, right? Have, we, we're going to have church tonight, right? We're going to have a prayer meeting. Like, we're going to shake the gates of hell. We're going to see God move. Oh, my gosh, God's moving. Yeah, probably not. Mm, right? When you are in need of breakthrough, pray. I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds elemental. It's almost like you're obligated to hear that at church. Of course, pastor's going to tell you to pray. When you're in need of breakthrough in your life, you need to pray. And listen to me. Pray when you have doubts. Pray when you have no hope. Pray when as the words leave your lips, you don't believe the Lord is even going to answer. Pray even in that place. It's, it's, there's such a thread of irony in the story that as they're having a prayer meeting and God answers the prayer, nobody there has the faith to believe that it could have ever even happened. And there's times where we need breakthrough in our lives and we're reluctant to pray because we, we don't really believe God's going to come through. Or we have prayed for so long for that, for that breakthrough that we've, we've lost hope. That we're almost weary of continuing on. Can I tell you? Pray anyway. When we don't pray because we have doubts, or when we choose not to pray because we don't have hope, what we're saying is that the answer to my prayer is dependent on me. Right? We'll, we'll just stop praying because we're not praying powerfully. Like you don't pray because you pray powerful prayers. You pray because he's powerful. Pray. If you need breakthrough in any of the areas that I mentioned and any other that may be represented here, you need to, you need to be a person who begins to pray. We'll talk about why that's important in just a little bit. But even when you doubt... And even when you have no hope, even when it would be unbelievable for the Lord to actually come through and answer, pray. I have watched this week in my extended family the Lord answer prayers that I stopped praying. Things that I had contended for at different seasons of time where I just kind of stopped praying for those things. And I've seen Him answer them this week where I've sat in my truck and out loud said, what is happening? Like, God, what is happening? Because I'm clueless. I'd probably have a little bit more insight if I was still praying for those things and dialoguing with the Lord on it. But guess what? Like, he, he can move in, in spite of that. Continue. Continue to pray, even if you've got doubts, even if you've lost hope. Your prayer may be weak, but he is not. Continue to pray. Move over to Acts chapter 16, and we'll pick up with Paul's story. They do eventually let Peter in. He tells his story, everybody cheers, and then he leaves town. He's wise enough to know not to stick around. does move on. But let's look at Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see what happens to Paul. This is something that takes place in the city of Philippi. Paul is hanging out there uh, with a friend of his named Silas. 
And uh, they, they get here to the city of Philippi, and they begin to do ministry. They d- begin to highlight a few people. A couple people are coming to the Lord. They're kind of building a, a, a small gathering of believers. And then Paul and Silas begin to kind of go public with it. They begin to share, and they begin to, uh, uh, they begin to lead people. They begin to contend for the things of the kingdom of God. And there's a young lady in the town of Philippi who is demonically possessed. She's oppressed by uh, a demon, and she kind of follows them around. And she kind of calls out. She makes a nuisance of herself. She's really kind of a, 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 a hindrance to, to the ministry. There's a mocking kind of quality to it. And finally, there's this moment where Paul's just like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And he says, come out of her. And she is liberated. She is uh, set free from demonic oppression. She's in her right mind. And she is wholly and fully restored. And you would think that the result of something like that would be like, whoa, I want whatever is happening there. But instead, there is a public sentiment that turns against them, and there's a backlash because people used her and her quote-unquote gift in order to sell kind of uh, uh, idols and trinkets. There was a money-making scheme that, was, uh, that she was uh, used for. And so now, because the economy, the local economy has been impacted, all of a sudden there's this turn. And Paul and Silas, they're arrested they're stripped uh, of their, their outer clothes, they're beaten, and they're thrown into prison. And much like Peter, they're placed in, in Philippi, they're placed in the bottom of the prison with their feet in stocks and their hands chained. And they're in the very bottom, the worst of the worst place. You're not getting out of there. We're going to put you in the lowest levels. And so they're in that place, and Scripture records their response. And in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, it says this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Okay, so they found themselves again in a place of physical imprisonment. They didn't do anything wrong. They were in prison for right doing, not wrongdoing. They had actually demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God, and they had seen people not just drawn to faith in Jesus Christ, but seen them liberated from demonic torment, and this was the result. But it says that they, at midnight, were, they weren't asleep like Peter, right? They were up, and they were praying, and they were singing, they were worshiping. They were praising. Let me tell you what Pastor Ben's doing at this time. Pastor Ben is up at midnight, and he is complaining so Pastor Ben would do. You guys wouldn't, but Pastor Ben. Lord, I did everything right. Why am I getting treated wrongly? God, this is an injustice. Come on, where's your vengeance, right? Where's that hellfire? Could use a little bit about that right now. I, I would be probably complaining. You can ask my family whether or not that's true. But Paul and Silas, they're praying, and then on top of that, they're praising. They're, they're worshiping. And then there's this suddenly moment again, just like for Peter. Verse 26, it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So in Peter's story, there's prayer that's taking place, and an angel comes, and there's liberty that's brought. The chains fall off of him. In this place, there's prayer, and there's praise, and the whole place shakes and rocks, and the prison doors are opened, and every captive is set 
free. But I find it interesting that Paul and Silas were singing. I find it interesting that they were praising. Because there was nothing about the situation that was joy-filled. There was nothing about the situation that was hope-filled. There was nothing about the situation that was even, that was even right. But they were worshiping and they were praising in that place. And I just want to posit this question to you just for a moment. Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think Paul and Silas could praise in that moment? Well, they probably got really great voices. Hmm? Doubt it. They were planning on auditioning for American Idol when they got out. And they were, you know, going to do some two-part harmony stuff. Like, they just really had music in their hearts, right? They just couldn't have, like... Here's why I believe that they sang. I think Paul had a habit or a discipline of praise. You actually see oftentimes him talk about the role or the importance of prayer and of praise and where joy fits in in spite of circumstance. In fact, in several of his letters to the church, he highlights that. Even the idea of a, uh, uh, a verse that we quote a lot, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, the context of that verse, he says, I've, I've known plenty and I've known want. I've had it all and I've lost it all. And regardless of the circumstances of life, I can do all things through Christ. I can endure any variable. I can endure any circumstance of life because Jesus is with me and my strength comes from him. I think Paul had a habit of praise. And there was nothing about his situation that would have been praiseworthy. There was nothing about his situation that would have been celebratory. There was no joy in that place and no reason for it. But Paul had a habit of praise. And so with Peter, we see when we're in need of breakthrough that we need to pray, even when we doubt and even when we have no hope. And in Paul's situation, we see that we need to praise. Even when there is no joy in our circumstance. Even when there's no joy in our circumstance. And what's interesting to me is that verse, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you're familiar with where it is, it's in the book of Philippians. In the same book, Paul also says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in every circumstance. The book of Philippians was written to the church in the city of Philippi. A church that was birthed from this moment. The suddenly that there was an earthquake and the chains fell off. Paul didn't run away. In fact, he stayed where he was and all the other prisoners did too. And as the jailer came, who was responsible for each one, and if he lost even a single one, his life would be forfeit. When he saw the doors open and the chains loose, he was about to fall on his own sword. He was going to take his own life rather than be put to death. And Paul cried out and he said, don't do that. We're all still here. 
And at the conversation that happened at the end of that, the jailer gave his life to Jesus, and so did his whole family. The church in Philippi that Paul writes the letter of Philippians to was birthed in this moment. So for him to write them years later and say, rejoice in the Lord always, carried a little bit of weight. I can endure any and every circumstance because the Lord gives me strength. It carried the weight back to that place. Even when there's not a reason for you to be joyful, you need to praise. And Scripture tells us that out of the overflow of our heart or out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks or the mouth sets forth. And so there's something about what we say that's really, really important. And if I will be a person who is disciplined in prayer, and if I will be a person who is disciplined in praise, it's indicative of some things that have taken place in my heart that hold fast regardless of the circumstances of what I'm facing. And so if you need breakthrough, you need to pray. And if you're in need of breakthrough, you need to praise. Okay, with that, we're going to go to the Old Testament, go to the book of Daniel, if you're a page turner. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3. So we talked about Peter, talked about Paul, now we're going to go look at the three amigos. And we're going to land on one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So even if you're not a note taker, you should take note of that, because I think it's important, and so of course it must be. But in Daniel chapter 3, you have uh, really a, a significant need for breakthrough, a temptation to compromise to see it happen, and a better practice for those of us who would stand for the things of God. And in Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, just to give you an overview of what's taken place in history, the Babylonian Empire has come in and has overrun um, the, uh, God's people, carried away uh, much of the young influencers, and Babylonian uh, Empire, their habit was to take the best and the brightest and take them away and re-educate them and then use them for leadership purposes. And so that's taken place here. You've got some individuals in the first three chapters of Daniel that get highlighted. You've got Daniel, who the book is named after, and then you've got these three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as you get to chapter three, there's kind of a change in the historical narrative that begins to document uh, something that Nebuchadnezzar did and how it began to impact specifically these three amigos. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds himself an image. He's going to have a national holiday. He's going to celebrate himself. He's going to gather all of the influencers and the, the leaders, uh, the judges, all of the people who carry authority. And he's going to have a big celebration. And it's going to be something that is going to set himself up. He's going to get a little bit of political uh, prestige out of this, but at the same time, he's looking to galvanize his group. He's looking to bring everybody together. There's kind of a national holiday element to this, and so he's trying to leverage a lot of things into his favor. And so he builds this image, and Scripture says that it's 90 feet high, it's nine feet wide, and it's overlaid in solid gold. So he sets this up, he draws everybody together, and kind of as this show of unity and this show of celebration and this nod, of course, to his authority, they're going to have the band play. And when the music starts, everybody's going to worship and begin this celebration together. 
And so everybody's been instructed towards this. We're all in this together. It's going to be kind of this national holiday type of a thing, and this is what we're doing. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw it as worshiping an idol, which it was. And they had purpose in their heart that they weren't going to live that way. Now, what's interesting, if you study, the, 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 um, study kind of who they were, they were carried away, they were re-educated, they were placed into positions of authority, they had a measure of, of authority and affluence, their voices carried weight, they were leaders uh, in some of the lower levels of governance, they were able to exercise a degree of freedom, and this is important. But their freedom was beholding to Babylon. They weren't really free. They had some borrowed freedom from the one who held them bound. It's important. And so what happens is the music begins to play. Everybody shouts, everybody celebrates, everybody bows down to the image, but it is noticeable to all there that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't participate. Now, I don't know what uh, they were supposed to do or how that was supposed to be demonstrated, right? There's any number of ways that this could be something that would have been expressed culturally. But what is noted, everybody recognized that those three didn't participate. They didn't fall in line. They didn't follow suit. And it was noticeable enough to be brought to Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And it was noticeable enough for him to be upset about it. So this wasn't something that just could be swept under the rug. This wasn't something that could be kind of explained away. It had to be addressed. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings them to himself, and he says, maybe there's like a cultural misunderstanding here, right? Maybe there's a language barrier. But let me be really clear. When the music starts, you need to bow, and if you do that, everything's cool. Okay, if you do that, everything's cool. But if you don't, it's going to get really hot, if you know the story, you hear the play on words there. Because the result of them not falling into line was going to be that they were going to be placed in a furnace of fire. So there's a very clear line in the sand that is drawn. And it's a life or death moment. As life or death moment as Peter, as life and death moment as Paul's situation, it's a very clear line. And the temptation here, listen to me, the temptation here is to compromise. And you, you could explain this in any number of ways. I could put myself in this situation, and I could uh, explain this to myself in a way where I could do what he was asking, submitting to authority. Scripture tells us that that's important. That I could do that with my outward man, but not with my heart. I could reserve that for the Lord. Like, I could, I could explain this to myself in a way that I could just kind of go along with it as a, as a show, but not really have it be something that I was really committed to, and that would kind of be okay. But if you have to compromise for freedom, you aren't really free. See, if, you, if, if they compromise here, and they get to still enjoy the freedom that is theirs kind of in battle. They're not actually free. If you have to compromise for it, you don't actually have it. You've been bought. They recognize this. They understand this. And this is where they take a stand. They needed a breakthrough. And listen, they could have created their own breakthrough moment. 
by simply just kind of doing the nod and going through the motions and everything would be cool. But when you compromise to create your own breakthrough, you don't get breakthrough. You actually get bondage. And they recognized that. They understood that. And so here's their response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, and this is how I would paraphrase it. Even if he does not kick rocks. I love it. I will not live in bondage. I will live in freedom. I will live in his freedom, or I will live in his presence. But I'm not going to live in bondage. It's a hard line in the sand. And it's one thing to be able to declare in faith and confidence, King Nebuchadnezzar, my God is able to. Okay? Most of us would be able to declare in faith, my God is able to restore my relationship. My God is able to provide for my financial need. My God is able to bring healing. Like We can make those declarations, and that's a good thing. But we also need to develop the type of maturity that says, but even if he does not... I will not settle for less. I will not compromise. When you're in need of breakthrough, you need to look for something specific. And it says that King Nebuchadnezzar, he was not happy at this. Told him to turn up the thermostat, however that looked like. He didn't say thermostat in Scripture, but you're tracking with me. And it was hot enough that when the soldiers opened the, the doors... The ones that opened it died from the heat blast before they were even tossed in. And all three of them were thrown into the furnace. And then all of a sudden, just like these other two stories, there was a suddenly moment where everything changes. And it says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You don't have to be good at math to know that something happened here. He threw in three, and now there's four. He threw in three, and now there's four. And you can read the rest of the narrative yourself, but here's what I would suggest to you. If you are in need of breakthrough, you need to pray. If you are in need of breakthrough, you need to praise. And if you are in need of breakthrough, you need to look for the presence of God. You need to look for the presence of God. And oftentimes, the presence of God will be in the fire. And you'll be tempted to compromise to avoid those moments. But if you have to compromise for breakthrough, you don't actually have breakthrough. Look for the presence of God. Church family, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to take a few minutes to allow the Lord to draw us to a response. If you're in a place where you need breakthrough in your life, however that looks, and whatever expression that need would be, 
begin today to contend for your moment of suddenly. Suddenly. There are times where we are not expecting the Lord to move. And I have found very often He moves in those moments. In moments that I have maybe forgotten to contend for, moments that I have even given up on. Like for me this week, when I was just amazed and out loud had to say, God, what is happening? Like I, I don't even understand how this is happening. But what incredible breakthrough. What incredible breakthrough. And when we contend for those moments of suddenly that haven't happened yet, this, this is really, this is where our faith gets exercised. See, our, our faith is demonstrated when we contend for what is not yet as if it already is. That I'm moved not based on what the details of my circumstances are this moment, but what I know God to be able to do when he brings freedom. And I live into that certainty that my faith draws me into that. And so with Peter and his very real need of breakthrough, actual physical imprisonment, needing a jailbreak, we see the importance it is for us to pray, even with doubts, even without hope, even if we're reluctant, but that we pray. And in Paul's very real need of a physical jailbreak, we see the importance of us to have a habit of praise in our lives. Where even when there's no reason for joy, we rejoice in who God is and what he has done and what we believe he will do. And in the story of the three amigos, we see the importance of us looking for his presence in that moment of breakthrough. And here's why these things are important. Because when you pray, and when you praise, and when you train your eyes to look for the presence of God in those moments, you're focusing your attention on Him. You're training your eye to look off of your context, to look off of your circumstance, to look off all of the reasons that would say breakthrough will not, cannot, should not, will never come. And you begin to look to the one who always brings breakthrough, the one who always brings liberty, the one who always brings freedom, always. We move our eyes off of all of the reasons to fear, all of the reasons we would succumb to a fear that says that God won't move. And we stand in defiance. We stand in a faith that says, even if he doesn't, I'm gonna still live as if he did. Even if he doesn't, I'm gonna live as if he did. And it produces a courage in us where we walk in freedom, where we journey to freedom as the man of God, the woman of God that you were always created to be in Christ. 
and you walk into that liberty. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes this week that would move off of our problems, move off of our needs. Lord, move off of our disappointments. Move off of our shame and our guilt. Move off of our doubt. Lord, that you would give us eyes that would be lifted up to where our help comes from, as the psalmist would write. Our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, help us to cultivate the spiritual practice of prayer, the spiritual practice of praise, and train our eyes to look for your presence because you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us, and we will find you in that place. Lord, as we close this series, we know that the journey isn't over, but that we get to continue to move in our journey with Jesus that moves us into freedom, that is gonna be marked by moments of breakthrough. And Lord, we posture ourselves to contend for each of those in our lives and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps for this week. If you wanna snap a picture, it's a good way to remember it. When needing breakthrough, remember, and you're gonna have moments where you're gonna need breakthrough, remember, number one, pray, even if you doubt, make sure you pray. Number two, praise. Even if you lack joy. And number three, look for his presence even when you feel as if you're alone.